listening to the Exile Hour. Hosted by Kayla Jackson Dills and Evan Phillips. We hope you enjoy the show wherever you are in the world time zones. Remember, be safe, be vigilant, and keep listening. The entertainment industry is a CIA-funded, satanic, Illuminati propaganda machine. All right! All right! Um, what if you... All right, thank you, Detroit! <laughs> Richmond, Virginia! You've been great! Rock and roll capital of Virginia! <laughs> <laughs> Richmond! Um, oh yeah! You, everyone synchronize their watches, and may we all have a better tomorrow. I think that's what he says. I can't remember. All right, welcome to the Exile Hour. I'm Caleb Jackson Dills. Yeah, welcome back. This is Evan Philip Lipson, and today uh, we have a very special. Exile guest, the Reverend Doctor Fred Lane, and we're gonna be, and this this one's gonna be kind of different. He's actually gonna be uh, physically present, so we don't we don't have to we don't have to pull out the telephone equipment and get him on the line. Instead, he will be physically present. No, we're not gonna do that this time because that's where we're we're just giving you the pure, honest, unadulterated truth at all times. Without exception, uh, Fred, Reverend Fred Lane is a character uh, that is out of the the mind brain of T. R. Reed, Timothy Ray Reed, uh, that first came to being in the seventies in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can't really tell the the Reverend Fred Lane story without also telling the story of Redellinus. Um, so this was kind of an anomalous experience that occurred with a group of people in a uh, real Huskerdoo football town. And uh, they were uh, kind of bored with the dominant mode of, of things and uh, made their own party, freaked the fuck out, <laughs> and um, uh, had a couple of these... I, I don't know what action stimulations just an explosion of um absurdity and untamed fun uh sometimes yeah I mean totally weird and mean spirited sometimes but uh um there so there was uh the Redellinus Pataphysical Review in which the first public Fred Lane performance occurred uh, doing My Kind of Town, Chicago, My Kind of Town, and uh, a couple other tunes. And uh, and he's goading the band members, saying things like, uh, oh, he sounds like he had a late lunch. And uh, it's just a big, beautiful mess. Uh, kind of like, uh, I mean, the, it's it's like this big band. They're, they're swinging along, but the wheels are coming off. Everybody's, everybody's like got... Uh, some kind of like brain damage or internal hemorrhaging occurring on stage and it's just like unlike anything you've heard and then um there's all these other pieces involved but this this group of people they were just like really dedicated to this thing for a number of years and uh did this there was a part of a homecoming parade and they like inserted themselves and infiltrated that uh i think a number of years in a row as the uh, marching vegetable band um and there were other incarnations 
um, Rodellinus Group started their own record label, which is called Say Debut Records, um, and releasing a lot of what were early improvisations. Some of the first like so-called free improvised music in North America came out of fucking Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The other places were New York and uh, I think San Francisco. That was it. Nobody else was doing that shit then. Um, and but nor unlike uh these people that had maybe formal background as uh, as musicians uh, and composers um they were doing these make ups as kind of just these surrealist parties and it wasn't like you could you just showed up with your instrument and played they were often surprised you'd come over and then somebody would give you another instrument you actually weren't allowed to play the instrument that you knew how to play. They all, yeah, and they invented instruments as well, like the uh, the Folger pipe or what, what? What is that one called? The Folger. The Folger phone. Folger phone. Yeah, which is what it's. It's like a Folger's coffee can with some. Uh, a cop- copper tube attached and a saxophone <laughs> mouthpiece. That's it. Uh, so yeah, just real, real crafty, insane people uh, going going wild and not really caring about any consequences of that for a number of years and the uh there was two fred lane records in total um the band only performed twice in its entire existence the second record was just uh so the first one was taken from a stage production called from the one that cut you um which is difficult to explain but it that was uh, an ambitious production that was <laughs> based on the discovery of a very threatening note that was found in the wheel well uh, of a, of an old pickup yeah, yeah, truck. Yeah, wrapped wrapped around a knife, <laughs> and it was written it was written in such a way that uh, everything was misspelled. It was illegible; like you, they couldn't re- they couldn't understand what was even trying to be conveyed, and uh, the name. What was the name who signed the letter? They couldn't like make out. It's the name. unpronounceable, but it's it, like F U E A R or or Y. Nobody could decide that last letter. So, well, it just they decided to combine them both, so it just comes out as Fu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, from from the one that I hope the pain is gone. Don't worry about Jimmy. I took care of him the same way I took care of you. P. Uh, Something like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting the order wrong. <laughs> but yeah, from this note, an entire um, um, shit show was created, which was the from the one that cut you stage production. And a lot of the first record is um, live recordings from that uh, and then some subsequent studio stuff that has this quality that's completely out of time. You can hear that it's crude. I mean, it's just one or a couple of mics set up in a room and everybody's just playing live and that's it um so when you hear this stuff and you didn't if you didn't know it's like what the hell is this from the 50s or 60s uh was that you know the present the future i don't it's it's like all this great mystery. yeah and it's especially heightened you know pre-internet so you can't you can't google it's ungoogleable, um, so you just see this strange, bizarre record 
um, with no context behind it, and you're just confused. They all had fake names, too. <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, people, I, I had no idea. Some of these people went on to be major figures in um, the rarefied realm of, like, improvisation. So, like, Davey Williams, LaDonna Smith, um, I had no you know, nobody would know for years. It was DPB Smith, this LaDonna's moniker, and Sid Charisse, um was the moniker of Davy Williams. I, I mean, when I first heard this stuff, I just assumed these were freaks in New York uh, that had that had done all this stuff. And, and I, I just couldn't believe when I found out years later, A, that it was going happening. This was from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And then, well, later Birmingham. And that B, um, these were these musicians that I had really like gotten into, you know, um, the whole the whole time I was checking this stuff out, I had no idea. Davy and Ladonna were playing on that. And then, um, then flat, then let's uh, let's take the timeline forward, thirty years later. Right. So Car Radio Jerome. Well, uh, yeah, I guess we just to say quickly, Car Radio Jerome was the second album that was re- recorded. Uh, a bit more like pro style, tighter, less, uh, less. Uh, I mean, it's it's got some chaos for sure, and 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 is a bit darker and psychotic, but um, but just went down to some of the core members for that one, um, so it's a little bit more like dialed in, but of course has uh, such classics as uh, White Woman. I'm having lunch with a white woman, um, and. Uh, French Toast Man. Yeah, the big hits there. Um, but none of that material was ever uh, performed subsequently. That was all just done in studio. Uh, but yes, you were saying, flashing forward. Now, uh, 31 years later, um, Evan Lipson joins. <laughs> oh, uh, this was stuff I had obsessed about for years that nobody else cared about, and that's uh, that was part of the fun. But I was talking when I first moved to Chattanooga. Uh, here's the full disclosure. I was meeting Dennis Palmer in Chattanooga around 2009. Um, he knew that I was into this stuff and kind of laid it on me one night that uh, Fred Lane lives in Chattanooga. I didn't believe him. Um, encountered the guy or saw him in the uh, flesh and eyeball realm um, at this uh, thing they used to have in the park called uh, Who Fest or Who Dad Dada. And um, I had a little too much reverence for the reverend to uh, approach him at the time. So, uh, I mean, I heard you heard all these stories about this guy. He was, like, living in a pyramid he had gone crazy. Uh, he was making sculptures out of vegetables. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. And also kind of the thing about, you know, like approaching people that are have, have such a um, just insanely unbelievable and wild persona. It's like you feel like if you meet him <laughs> in real life, it's just going to kind of be like a letdown or disappointment. And uh, so I didn't want to upset that, but mostly it was it was probably just like sheer terror. Uh, then I got to know him. Um, 
uh, they had this in 2013. I believe it was, uh, yeah, early in the February or uh, January of 2013, there was um, a Riddellinus Expo uh, upon the anniversary of of the um, the Pataphysical Review. They brought it back in the original theater where the the uh, performance had occurred in the University of Alabama with the all the living original members and uh, revamped the stuff. And th- there was like a ex- exhibition of artworks. And anyway, there was all the stuff about him. Oh, is he going to show? Isn't he going to show? He shows up. Um, and actually, it wasn't on the program or anything, but yeah, he did do this this performance as the Reverend Fred Lane, and uh, it was amazing. It was like the voice is still there, everything was still there, um, and we met briefly there, uh, and then I, and then it um, when Dennis Palmer died, uh, there was a memorial for him, two day memorial. Him and his wife Jeannie were there for both nights, and uh, that's kind of when we became became buddy cats um subsequently it became known or he kind of just let it out that uh there was this third album that had never been recorded or performed called ice pick to the moon and we myself and bob stagner kind of pressed him about it we cornered him at it at this uh dinner party and he said you know are we going to do this fucking thing or not <laughs> he said uh, uh okay <laughs> so we did um <laughs> and uh yeah so that record's coming out after uh, 31 years ice pick to the moon which also happens to be the same title of a documentary film that took 19 years to make yeah yeah so good things come to those who wait so, um, yeah, that started in 1999 and uh, uh, helped to get it premiered here at the Chattanooga Film Festival a couple of years ago. And there will be, on July 31st, yeah, the first uh, Fred Lane publicized performance, at least uh, since 1976, at uh, Saturn in Birmingham, Alabama on January 31st and that'll be a record release show as well as a sort of release of the DVD and there'll be a screening of the of the film um yeah and the sort of new incarnation of uh Fred Lane and his disheveled monkey biters that's the name of this one <laughs> yeah we'll be unleashed and take the stage and hopefully nobody will get too hurt. Oh, Fred's at the door now. Let's uh, let's bring him in the studio. Yeah, let's let him in and get right down to it. Hello. Hello. There we go. Chocolate bar, and there you are. Your name is Caleb. Yeah, I am Caleb. <laughs> I heard that. Is that a real name? Okay, I don't care. Uh, that's a, that's no, no, it's a, that's it's a real name. Um, uh, okay. It's that's okay. You just you be who you want to be this time around. <laughs> I keep thinking about say. changing my name. Did you ever listen to that Timothy Leary album where he just keeps saying over and over, 
you could be anything this time around. Yeah, that's what you could be anything. <laughs> you could <this> be, time. <laughs> um, and you probably already are. Hey, uh, if we could get Fred a little bit louder, if you could, I don't know if okay. Greg's. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> How's that? How's that? No, that's pretty yeah. good. Oh, I'm talking to this dick. Yeah, yeah this that's mic here. Okay. There we go. <clears throat> you, can you hear me now? <laughs> Is he loud enough? I can. Yeah, I can Lo- hear. I can hear oh, everybody right. now. Okay. Okay. Are we? Uh, are we? Ta- are we going to talk to Tim today or the Reverend Fred Lane? Uh, you can, you can talk to Fred Lane. Uh, you can stick. To, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, whatever you want to do. <laughs> whatever y'all thought on the day. Jekyll and Hyde have really yeah. bridged the gap. <laughs> They're the same person. That's what you, <clears throat> what you realize here. Wait, I got some phlegm here for you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're welcome. How did, how did the Fred Lane character first coming to being? What what's what um, inspired it? Well, let's see. I, I printed up some stationery. It was probably about 1971. Uh, it said from the from the desk of Reverend Fred Lane. I also printed up the, uh, printed some up that said from the desk of Flounder Bunt. But some somehow I wasn't associating that with me anyway until um, I did the 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 Fred Lane newsletter and this invented this idiot. <laughs> That uh, it's kind of a, a megalomaniac type personality uh, that was already, you know, a, a well known everywhere. That's like you already knew him. He's like, joint, you've joined this program in in uh, progress. So uh, I, I kind of that it came out of that. Uh, was the costume all together at once? Like uh, I, I always saw the thing with the band aids on his face. Like this guy's uh, so. <laughs> Uh, spastic and maniacal like he he can't he's fu- you know he's shaving his face and just cutting himself all over the place. uh yeah the, that for that that was in the pataphysical review when they asked me to be the mc and uh so that that look kind of evolved but the band-aids were be, were because I had really it was I was twenty one and I still had really bad acne. Uh-huh. So instead instead of putting some uh, makeup that looked crappy on it, I said, "Oh, this well, just put some band aids. I got a box of band aids here and <laughs> out of the medicine cabinet and put those all over and didn't have to do anything." That was the original. That was uh-huh. that was all that was. Like, this will look good too. Besides, you know. But aside from but, drawing the character or doing some rendering of it, would you dress as? In this costume, the boxer shorts, wingtips, yeah. argyle socks. Ar- yeah. In and fact, I'm wearing jacket. argyle socks now. Uh, um, yeah, the, uh, the tuxedo thing. I don't think I had a tuxedo yet. Um, well, later, we found some tuxedos for like Craig got one for that. Was, he did Ron Pate later. He got one for um, Craig Nutt. Yeah. What's his name? Craig Nutt. Craig Nutt. Ron Pate. Uh, Craig. Craig Nutt. Yeah. Okay. He got one for like fifty cents at a yard sale. It was like a thirties tux and tails, the whole thing for yeah. fifty cents. And he paid, got it dry cleaned, and it cost him like ten times the amount that he paid for it. But but uh, we took some pictures. Let's see, that was probably about seventy four. Um, Ted Bowen, Abdulin Camel. We took some pictures with my daddy's hat. <laughs> it was a the straw the fedora. And uh, some uh, 
pink girl sunglasses that I bought at a uh, yard sale, and that was we took the pictures. He he would wear this. We, we just had a sports jacket, and he took a bunch of them. And we we were standing on a old Schwinn bike or some. Real, I think it was a girl's bike too, but it was a it was a Schwinn bike, and we took pictures and he had the, the hat and the glasses on in some um some of the the pictures and i had a we i took the pictures and you could you can hardly tell the difference except for you know maybe about half a foot taller him being taller than me and i think that's where the the get up came from uh, it started and I, we started taking pictures um and, and putting them and posting that as reverend fred lane um, in in the Fred Lane newsletter, and then the uh, naked women overthrow the government quarterly, and then it became then it became liquid basketball. After that, I don't know why I threw that second name away because that was a pretty good name. Liquid basketball. But, what what what, yeah, what is uh, is is it just the combination of words sound good or what is liquid basketball? Uh, like? Yeah, I just cut the well uh, the uh, the globes in uh, in, uh, in uh, geography books always look like. Uh, basketballs to me the lines the uh, longitude and latitude lines they remind me of basketballs so that's the earth that's the, the earth yeah basketball. yeah see the last guy uh, the last guy we talked to he he's he called earth that's like a the blue marble game is that what it was uh-huh. marble scene. yeah blue the marble scene. basketball yeah blue marble that was i think yeah that's probably where i got that i think <laughs> I, 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 it's, yeah it's coming back to me now something like that and what in, what was the difference in these publications? They were pretty much all the same. Okay. <laughs> it's just a different, a different name, I, and they were disseminated among. So I, I'm surprised they were, there. People have still got those, but uh, they were just xeroxed. It's seventy four to seventy six, and I think I did another one in seventy seven or seventy eight called a steamed plywood triannual, and that <laughs> and that was the last. That was the last one I did, and. Uh, Ask him questions, boy. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah we got we, we to be faster. Oh, man, I'm getting stressed out over here. Oh, wow. How much time we got? <laughs> so to, uh, to what extent do you feel that Tuscaloosa, that's Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, so with this, this, this place sort of uh, existing at some distance from, you know, the recognized major cultural centers, um, you know, to what extent did, do you think this allowed for an environment in which something like uh, Riddellness was able to flourish? Uh, well, you don't want to be another. Well, I don't know what it says. That's this, oh, you don't want to be another uh, moron, you know. Uh, I mean, the people that, that uh, they just kind of magnetized. I mean, it was all proposing ends of a magnet. Or, I mean, because you knew... I got to I got to do something cuz this is crazy. This is boring the hell out of me or whatever it was. The whole culture there says this is insane and you can only, you know, insult uh um sorority girls and uh frat boys and in, in, in for so long and not get killed unless you're in a group. So, kind of that was kind of what we did when we did the uh the the uh homecoming parade. We ended up I never could uh, when I was little, I loved the homecoming, going to the homecoming parade, and uh, it, was, it was exciting. But then you got to be a teenager, and then you know, um, I don't know, just got I, I morphed, and you know, there's people wanted to beat my ass for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, 
But uh, but but then we decided we were going to march in the homecoming parade. And I don't know if that was Craig's idea, and uh, and Lanny, Nolan Hatcher was another guy, Craig Nutt, um, and Roger Haggerty, who who was Dick Foot on the the records, the the sax player. Um, we decided we were going to play in the, in the uh, homecoming parade. And by the the people that were actually in the university, I wasn't. I was younger than that. Um, but LaDonna was in the music department, and she was, I think, getting her master's degree maybe. And um, she had some pull with the music department, so we got to rent musical instruments, wind instruments mostly from um, – from the university and we got a lot of instruments and we played stuff that uh, other instruments that we would never played and some of us were not even musicians that would like gary taylor that that uh got the the, the musical instruments and we got a, we got stuff like oboes and you know i mean things you would never play in a million years i had been i had been i had been in uh, the high school band and in school so I, that's how i that's how i got my musical start and then uh-huh. where did then, you play in the band like flute, and then um, I met Davy, and uh, like right before the tenth grade, I think. And then we started playing. I I, I lied to him and told him, oh, "Yeah, I'm in a band. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just made up a band because I, I thought I needed the cred, you know. So I, <laughs> so I made up a, a some band names, and uh, so we started playing. And because I, I I just played along with records before I learned how to play the the harmonica by listening to uh, Cream and Paul Butterfield and other yeah. things, and just played those kind of songs and then I met Davy and at the um, dermatologist in the summer of uh, 1969 and he said hey why don't you come over to my house in Utah well Utah was about 45 miles away from Tuscaloosa so it seems like I went there on the bus this is E-U-T-A-W yeah yeah E-U-T-A-W um, Alabama little bitty town Predominantly a, uh, a Afro-American town, too. I mean, it was, but, you know, the whites ran everything, just like every other little town in the South at that time. But uh, he was really into the blues, and um, and I, w- I had been introduced with the to the b- blues by somebody that was the brother of somebody that had been made it big, and Johnny Townsend, it was Billy Townsend that introduced me to the blues like a year before that, playing all these records. And I was really uh, intrigued by that. And, yeah, I see Johnny Townsend, they had a, a hit called Smoke from a Distant Fire, Sanford Townsend Band. That was later on. But uh, that's who, it was his, that was his brother, his younger brother. And but, and then I had uh, uh, this this uh, musical thing with Davies. And we, we found out we had a kind of a rapport musically. Uh-huh. And we just play stuff, and he knew what I was going to do and got the cues and everything. Was that band essentially a blues band? When you uh, it was a blues band, but we really had to play all this other stuff. We had to play, you know, um, we didn't do covers. We just did stuff that we liked. So we didn't get a whole lot of gigs, but we got a few. Like if they, this was in high school, like the Elts Club and stuff. Like, <laughs> Were you singing as well? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that was the lead singer. Yeah, yeah we had some backup vocals too, Davey and uh, our bass player, Steve Swindle. Was anyone else in your family musical? Uh, well, my sister, uh, she played the clarinet, and she played the piano. Um, 
and I had a brum a brummer a brother that played the drums that was a, a brummer little, little little brummer boy little bummer drummer yeah flummer so it's sort of interesting then when Redellinus starts to bubble and ferment and all of this emer- freakishness emerges to the surface there's like a combination there's a small contingent of people that are in the university and that have access to these instruments and then there's people like you and Davey and well probably most of it that are outside of the university right what was the uh, I think that, I think most of them were in the at, in the university at the time they were I wasn't and either um, I don't think who all was in that at the time I'm getting confused with people that actually didn't play in that it seemed like, yeah, yeah. It seemed like most of them were in the university. But so it seemed like you have these some people that are coming from some formalized training, and then mm-hmm. people that are just picking stuff up. Did anybody right. care? With nobody gave yeah. any attitude, like, uh, oh, you can't, you can't play. Like you don't know what you're doing with that thing. Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just a free for all. To to play, uh, no, we just did what we wanted to do, and and they we actually had uh, a few times we got to play in the. Uh, the band um, auditorium. I mean, the bit—not the auditorium, but the practice room. So that <laughs> when we got to record in there, there's some early recordings. Greg probably has those of Redolinus. First time I played with him, I think I played flute with Redolinus. But they just played my instrument that I already I already played. I didn't, you know, branch out. We just played. We picked up. You know, I pick up a flute and I went to a brass instrument. I went to a trombone and then trumpet. It has nothing. It's completely wrong embouchure for either one of those <laughs> i remember trying to do it once and just gave up on it but like when you were talking about you all picked up these instruments and just start playing like that was that was the moat it was like right into just like free playing like we're just we're just going to put do mm-hmm. make ups yeah it'll it start like, something oh, let's do songs right away no if somebody would make up a song somebody will start up like something like an oompa or something and and people are joining in but somebody will jump right in on it like a like a um, a bunch of predators on a on a on a little rabbit or something, and like that kind of that was the white woman. Later on, uh-huh. that we used that in the, the white woman and the 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 uh, improv in that the um, the solo, right. where the, the horns are going solo, and then all of a sudden the little flute comes in there. I play I play like you know two bar two measures maybe of it, and then it goes. Bruh! Having lunch with a white woman Everybody wants to have a white woman She's a Caucasian I'm a Caucasian You know it's got to be a white woman Leaning on the lobby door And I want to be Sometimes when I'm a little sad and lonely, I pick up a pen and pad, jot down a few items that I wish I had. When I'm in a pickle, I'm in a stew. I just add the celery and dream of you. She's a Caucasian. I feel like a Eurasian, banging on the tabletop, looking at the view. Staring down the corridor And I want to be you 
conceive of what you're doing as being so-called art or music or did none of those pretensions exist oh uh, yeah we were all just um i know that they had heard other uh musicians i mean davy was listening to Derek bailey and evan parker and peter broatsman and people like that and and i heard uh, william boyker i really liked his stuff i felt a, a kinship with his his stuff a lot of it and um Breaker or Brooker or I don't know. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, okay. But um, we we had started listening to that, and but we didn't. Uh, you had so many different kinds of people in there. They were just you could tell they were listening, and some of them didn't know anything about any formal way. Just they were just doing what they wanted to do. But it wasn't like there was a lot of uh, you know eighteen minute guitar solos at that time. I mean, from the late sixties to the early seventies. And it wasn't like that. Davy did crazy stuff on the guitar that didn't sound like. In fact, when we were with a little, a little the small little, I guess we would call it a rock band, we would just stop in the middle of a song like "I Can't Keep from Crying," an old blues song, and just go into this flute and a, a guitar thing that didn't sound like it. Done. I just went free form. So that was kind of the, what I remember is the beginning of that. No, uh-huh. he started it or I started it, but we just kind of jumped in. That wasn't discussed at all. That wasn't like, uh, and he couldn't have been checking out. No, it's just this. Li- no, we. I don't know how much he had. He listened to a lot of blue stuff. I don't know if he had heard any pre pre improvisational pre before then. But it was uh, sixty. So that was in sixty nine, seventy, seventy one. That's when Wally de Goomba was we existed. Mm-hmm. We we didn't know what we were doing, but. It, it it sounded good. Uh-huh. Some people liked it. They always, they always put us first if we were at. They had these woods quads at the time that uh, on the wood woods hall quadrangle. Uh-huh. 
um, which was the only building that they left that didn't burn during the Civil War. That was still there. They were remodeling it. But they had a quad, a quad all, all around it, and that's where all the, the bands played. But most of them were just like, uh, I don't know, I want to call them hippie bands, but they, they were they were early. Um, there was a band called South Camp, and I can't remember the name, names of the bands now, but we were different from all of them. Yeah. But usually we, they were put us first because – uh, they, you know, we didn't have, we weren't playing a lot of places, so we didn't have a lot of credentials. Yeah, in some ways, I imagine. I mean, you know, you think of the pros and cons of being this aberrant person in that kind of environment. Um, but there's, there's, there's something that can give you almost some kind of power of being completely out. And it's not like you're in some big city where there's a, like a lot of freaks that you can have some kinship with. And and it seemed like it, we were kind of particular because even the people that people thought were weird, we were weirder than them. So I, I did, but it, this was very. Yeah, I was not. There were a few years after this. I mean, not a very few years. There was a, there were a lot of places that we could have played. But by then, you know, everybody had gone to other towns or done other things. Yeah. That, that kind of that kind of split up anyway because it was destined to to split up because. Um, it did that there wasn't a goal to you know do anything it was just to enjoy what do you were think doing, it would basically. have even been possible for something uh so diligently irreverent like fred laner ridellinus to emerge in, in the big cities where uh quote-unquote serious art yeah I, th- I think i think it could have actually yeah. yeah yeah um i don't know if anybody would have thought of that but i actually thought that it had a, had a potential but you know we were stuck we were broke. We were stuck, <laughs> or I was anyway. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the uh, big city record. Yeah, I mean, this New York record label, uh, Shimmy Disc, this, this Kramer fellow, kind of formed a relationship or got in touch with you all. Yeah. Well, they played, I think, in the early '80s with uh, maybe in the late '70s because I think uh, Eugene Chadbourne played there in in '77 um, or something. I mean, it was. Or maybe yeah, about then or seventy eight, and um, and then he formed a band a year or two later called Shockabilly, and and Kramer was with them. He played keyboards, and I, n- I never talked to him much, so I didn't. Uh, I think we got to um, do that that stuff with the label, and it wasn't until about I, I think. David Greenberger somehow hooked, hooked me up with him. This is what I'm remembering. He may remember it wrong. And that was about 85, 86, somewhere that, whenever the album came out. After It seemed like it was a year or two after that when the, they actually got the recordings to the, the old, uh, from the one that cut you, and the, the new ones we were doing. We, were, we didn't really shop them around that much. I think it probably would have gone better if it would have gone with another label, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. Now that was what was available. What are the odds that like there's going to be multiple people into the like pataphysical um, realm? I don't know, like in Tuscaloosa at that time. Period. Oh well, uh, we always had uh, audi- an audience. Uh, I wasn't a big audience, but uh, that that particular group did all this uh, stuff on stage, and I, I didn't really get into the Fred Lane thing until until. Uh, 
we did the the pad physical review, and that was like a you know it was supposed to be a big show. It was supposed to be a like a vaudeville show, and with these different musical acts, and um, they appointed me to be the MC. So we need an MC. So uh, what was the question now? Uh, the, <laughs> was it? There, there's not really. There isn't really one. Um, there's no question. It, it was more of a comment connecting to that. So pataphysics. Maybe you could explain it better. The science of the science of exceptions. The the, the rule, the exceptions to rules uh, of uh, physics, I guess. And um, I I never really knew what it meant, but I kind of knew what it meant. But so, <laughs> but, um, but but nobody did. No, nobody did. It was like it was like it's like a big joke, man. It was just that's what all it was. <laughs> it's just big. I don't know what the hell he wanted. But yeah, so Alfred Jerry was this kind of like a Jerry, this uh, proto, um, yeah, obviously French uh, midget. Um, pro- <laughs> I don't like, like it. Dada, Dada, <laughs> <laughs> get get real ripped on absinthe and paint yeah. himself green and you know strip naked, paint himself green and ride his bike through Paris. Yeah, that, that Ubu Ubu the king Ubuwa was uh, with done with puppets originally, and then he tried to make the uh, actors be be like puppets. So they they all wore you know paper mache noses and stuff. And, and this guy with a you know he was ultimate. I think they is he's an ultimate tyrant or just it's kind of a takeoff on Macbeth or just any Shakespearean, just any giant um, megalomaniac. You know, like the president, you know, like that that kind of that kind of guy, but it, but it, yeah, everyone, yeah, like in the eighteen nineties though that this and they had that production was uh, uh, done in the eighteen ninety six, I think, and a bunch of famous writers were in the audience. I think William Butler Yeats wrote a review of it. He really liked it, and there were several other composers that were in the audience that I can't remember who they were now, but they were famous people. Yeah, and they all had a riot. Yeah, I mean they they started fighting each other. And yeah, well, was it was it, a, even the first word of the play? He just, he says, you know, yeah, it's it's scandalous. Yeah, shit or it's 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 tr- was translated as shit, but in the original English translation, but I don't know why they did that. It's, but uh, yeah, sort of connecting to that. Um, why do you think the art and artists from the early early 20th century, I guess namely the Surrealists, um, had a greater appeal and impact on the members of Riddellinists than, say, the abstract expressionists or pop artists of the mid-century. What, what did Miles Davis say about white music? It just didn't go into my body. Or, he said yeah. something like that. That <laughs> was, It just wasn't... Uh, there, was, there was more to it. There was more underneath. There was more inside it than... That, 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 all of that other stuff seemed... That's just my point of view, but it seemed kind of shallow to me. It was all visual, and that was about it. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little too New York City for me. I don't know, a little too uh, urbane. Yeah, it's, it's something. It's like a, a it's not, I wouldn't say a joke that you're not in on, but it's some kind of. There's a pretense to it, especially if it's been in the galleries and it's selling for you know hundreds of thousands and then millions of dollars. I mean. What is recognized as the Southern Surrealists, the, the, I mean, this is now kind of like sort of come to be known, I think, in like the art world. It's like Riddellinus is this this sort of like, I mean, and there were like card, actually card-carrying 
surrealist still to this day. Isn't like Janice Hathaway? Uh, do you still speaking speaking of card carrying, uh, Fred? Do you still own? Are you still carrying your artistic license in your wallet? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just using my driver's license now. You know, <laughs> I get. I think I had a a card with that uh, Ed LeBaron gave me, and I wrote all kinds of dirty words on it, and I was using that for my artistic license for a while. <clears throat> She was she was one of the redonnas people. She was uh, she played a harp and now she's a composer. She played harp with all. She w- w- was in the uh, marching band with a harp, and her, <laughs> she had a uh, she was in a little wagon playing the harp. And her boyfriend at the time, uh, uh, Ed Eaton, who who I think we we nicknamed Stinky Loins, was was pull it was pulling her in the. Uh, in, in the and she was playing the harp with the band. You could barely hear it, of course. One of the subjects in the documentary, uh, I think, accurately and eloquently describes the Friend Late albums by uh, stating that these records don't behave. Um, what led you towards your complete unwillingness to cooperate and total refusal to take anything seriously? <laughs> uh, well, I just, I just looked around me. <laughs> I looked around. And realized I was blessed with a certain um, like shuttle number. <laughs> frivolity, frivolity aside, uh, do you think this is a necessary attitude for artists to adopt in order to like protect their vision? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I certainly have kept mine <laughs> right, right here. Can't even take the question seriously about not being serious. I I don't have any shoes. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I'll say this: um, successful parody seems to always hinge on the parodizer avoiding contempt for their subject. Uh, do you have an affinity or appreciation for some of the things you parody in your songs, like uh, Elvis, uh, Dean Martin, s swinging lounge singers, children's songs, histrionic country music? Uh, White gospel, Mitch Miller, or whatever. Oh well, so the, most of that stuff's already a parody anyway. So yeah. I just I, that, I don't go very far, except with the lyrics, maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, of course, yeah. When I, when I was a kid, I liked all of that stuff, and it, and I, I grew up in when rock and roll was changing to rock and roll from you know uh, rhythm and blues, and there's just there was so much stuff to choose from and there was there was so much garbage but some of the garbage is interesting too i mean on a certain level anyway i mean it was i would i enjoyed a lot of that stuff and i would be laughing at it uh when when i was with a girlfriend or something or and they would what are you laughing at and i said that's just so stupid it's hilarious that was that was a long time ago back when i was a young young woman uh, yeah i mean this thing of yeah the self they're already self-parodying and then you can just add like maybe some other like demented elements of this, uh, <laughs> but it, but it's like I, I, I see them as like uh, rather rather loving renditions, and I think that's true. Like um, maybe similar, we've like talked about like people who uh, the low hanging fruit of of um, I don't want to say the name or something, but like cert- certain people uh, where they they it, they's like ah oh, look at that idiot they'll feel smarter at themselves 
they're parodying somebody that's already doing self-parody. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a, a method actor. I mean, that's kind of you have to get something even from the most evil character. If if, if you've got a, if, you know, there's something in there that you, you can use to get something for nothing in this world. My God, I don't want to work a day in my life. I'm going to go straight to where I am. I'm already there, and I'm coming back. I'm coming through it. I'm coming to that. I'm going through the birth canal. I'm coming out the anus. I swear, I, that's all I want me. I'd say the, the louche, musky, sinister, and hard-boiled fumes of uh, 1940s film noir frequently waft through the world of Fred Lane, uh, in particular songs like DOA and Dial O for Bigelow uh, come to mind. What piqued your interest in classic film noir, and how did you come to see it as something to incorporate into Fred Lane? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's always a part of my uh, subconscious. I think I saw those movies when I was little, and I shouldn't have liked them when I was little. But they they had a they they weren't like uh, it's like they were speaking to something, some truth or something. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a you know but uh <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, that, that, they just kind of resonated with my uh, duodenum. A cool glass, a cool world. Way that bim hangs on my coat. It sticks to my clothes Gotta get away or I'll Never get the chance Grab a tall one, catch the action Took a sip, turn around And I was gone Don't drink that big a load It'll make your forehead sweat Drummer kicks my temples Reed man picks my brains You gotta tell him I didn't do nothing I never had the chance I don't know what I did but my Forehead starts to sweat In my ineptitude I really don't deserve To be alive Ineffectual I can't imagine how I have survived In a container With a retainer And nothing for me On the other side
kind of going back to the parody stuff, I was thinking about something Caleb was telling me the other day um, in regard to advertisement, like how people respond to it. And generationally, there's there's actually like kind of a difference. Um, whereas I think people from baby boomer era are more prone to be like fond of commercial advertisement or remember commercial jingles um baby boomers actually enjoy advertisements they're the only generation that enjoys a direct (laughs) advertisement no other generations enjoy ads um i don't know where you were gonna go with that evan but yeah uh they're the only generation that like uh, when they uh-huh. see an advertisement, they're reminded of their childhood. Evidently, mm-hmm. it's like a so. It's like a, I guess. I guess during the heyday of advertising. So if they see like a Coca Cola ad, mm-hmm. they're reminded of their childhood. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsi. Did you mean like, like that? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's pretty good. Like that, I actually have a song. You know what I mean? Like. That's I we've talked about um I mean I remember just local regional commercials my favorite was the dumbest of them all uh in Philly which was uh an advertisement for a place called Doors Unlimited Doors Unlimited Unlimited Doors <laughs> Yeah I like the short ones so they're, they're the best yeah 5882300 Empire Empire today yeah. Today, oh sorry. Oh yeah, what what is the wingtip of destiny? Uh, it casts no shadow. It casts no shadow. You never, you don't see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> no one knows. But it's gonna it's gonna crush us all. Yeah. Okay. It's gonna kill all every one of us. Each and every goddamn one of us. <laughs> Thank why, you, Jesus. Why wingtips? Why not cap toes? Cap toes. Oh, I don't know. What are cap toes? Yeah, bro- why not a brogue? Oh, a brogue. Okay. Um, well, those were the, the, the I always liked uh, the wingtips. They had these little, little designs on them those, <laughs> with the holes in them and the punch holes and all those. Uh, and uh, they just uh, they were shiny. I liked it. They taste good, too. I like the top by top. They fit right in your mouth. Like, it, it, it looks like, like toes more- fit right in. More like a yeah, it's it's like a ne- more neurotic shoe. I don't know if it's a neurotic or <laughs> erotic. Yeah, it's an erotic it's a more, shoe. It's a more neurotic shoe. Yeah. Well, that's the scale. It's, new. it's like either you go in the direction of erotic or neurotic. I, I disagree. I think like if if they're on the if neuroticism and eroticism are on the opposite end of the spectrum, then why do I want Woody Allen to fuck me so bad? <laughs> yeah, that is true. That's, I've had, I've thought was just thinking about that on the way over yeah, that's here. That's all I can think <laughs> about. All I, I can't stop it. Every can't waking stop. hour, <laughs> can't stop the woodman. Um, I'm having trouble uh, doing this. Um, Zippa, can you help me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, they make that funny sound. But yeah, the the advertise. Well, so you've kind of come up with these like French toast man. Oh yeah, is kind of a child's advertisement. Yeah. Um, Captain Kangaroo. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Did you like? Was that true? Like, did you have? Did you like advertisements or something? Oh no! I, what, what I hated most is when we were going on a field trip or something. There would be. There would always be. It was, it was always one of these. Uh, 
very uh, uh, bourgeois little white girls singing along. They would have the radio on that it would be somebody's mother or something. They would go on a field trip in school. And this was grade school. <laughs> but she would always be, they would have it on the crappiest radio station, and they would be playing these commercial jingles, and it would be like local commercials. And there would always be two or three girls singing along with the commercials. That used to drive me crazy. I couldn't, um, nah, I don't know. I, I only like them, uh, I don't even want to say ironically, but uh, some of the things I would sing them. Um, I remember the first time I was aware of that. The, uh, of why do I like this stuff? I, mean, I don't like it, but I like it. And I was singing um, Ted uh, Bowen and I. Ted Bowen was Abdul Ben Camel, but this is before he started playing bass. We were painting a house. We had we were we started a his brother started a, a house painting business, and we were doing something like scraping putty off the windows or something and redoing it or something. And I was singing. Yesterday, when I was young, the teardrops fell as rain upon my tongue. And um, he said, and then, and, and 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 Ted said, "Wait, I bet there's nobody in in the world painting a house and singing that." Uh, it was Roy Clark had a hit at that time with that. He said, uh, "Is nobody is singing that Roy Clark song and painting the house?" And I said, and I said, well, yeah, there there probably is. I mean, the, the pro- probabilities of that happening. Or he said, yeah, but nobody hates it and is singing it. <laughs> so that was that's kind of the you know hate hate love hate. Why is it um, that you know when people like things, they're supposed to be good? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Well, it's that's the the question people have to ask themselves after after all of this these years of advertising. Um, in which uh, it's no longer the situation of, oh, I don't like that. Uh, that's not my taste, but it's I'm not supposed to like that. Um, you you told me something once about how, uh, just, just like the final thing I'll say about the TV commercial thing, that you thought uh, all, all television commercials were surrealist by nature, right? Oh, yeah. The Dadaist, yeah, the, especially the Dada. I mean, it, it, all kinds of advertising is, is very, very much. That that hasn't changed much. Turn around the block, he's got a lot of French toast in the back. He's got it wrapped up in a sock. He's timing the engine of his truck. He's got a lot of French toast in the back. The kids come around and ask him if they can have a delicious slice of French toast. Sure you can, here it is. He says as he hands it out to all the boys and girls And they scream with delight as they run home And show it to their parents Then mom takes the French toast from the kids To examine it more closely It has green mold growing right out of the crust And it smells like something awful And she throws it into the garbage can 
A rat comes along and eats it up and falls right over dead. And his stomach bursts open and his liver pops out. Everybody stands around with their hands on their mouths. They really are disgusted. Then the French toast man comes from right around the block and puts it in his French toast sock. got it's not just like the on the album you know the, the music the, it's the whole container um and the, the the like the parody continues that this is a rare thing where like the the uh album artwork like actually perfectly kind of mirrors like what you're listening to uh so these records bolophonic one foot wide 93 degree zagreb at first glance this this looks like something from a certain era, oh, Technicolor, uh-huh. uh, filmed in Technicolor, yeah. you know, stereo sound, um, these new like technological advancements of like hi-fi, you know, mid-century record advertising. Um, but then, of course, it's like it doesn't say that it says ninety-three degree, full ninety-three degree Zagreb, <laughs> um, and then you've got all this stuff like scrawled in there. But the best part to me is. Um, all these different album covers and then it made it appear that there's this huge catalog uh of all these other uh i mean some of them were fred lane records but then ev- there's like the kooks kooking out and abdul ben camels this this is what i like about the south isn't that one? Oh, that's what i like about the south uh fred lane uh, recorded live at the first baptist federal prison <laughs> that, yeah that was one of my favorites <laughs> yeah the artwork on that That's, one is wonderful the news yeah, he, he's fred lane is being lynched in that one. yeah that was a recently the, the last year or so they showed the uh i don't know if they showed the movie somewhere near baltimore uh, the skiz said that people were were getting uh angry about that he never did elaborate on it. he said they they said it was really pissing some people off because he blew that up like at record size he had all those albums all over the the wall in a gallery somewhere mm-hmm. when he was doing the thing and he said they got pissed off about that <laughs> so i'm not really sure what they would but that you know i guess he could this new record um ice pick to the moon yeah what's it called that's it ice pick to the moon yeah, that's it <laughs> that's the one yeah it's kind of yeah. confusing because there's this the this uh documentary that skiz 
Sizzik. 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 I think it's it's confusing because his first name doesn't sound like the last one. That's not. It's a you know. It's just a nickname. Skiz Sizzik. Uh, so the film is is called Ice Pick to the Moon, which was named after this album that was hinted at uh, in the release or advertisements for the for the previous what was thought to be the last fred lane album um on shimmy disc car radio jerome it's it something like you know stay tuned for ice ice pick to the moon and then so this was this record that was all pretty much uh written with you by you and roger haggerty that's dick foot right yeah Mm-hmm. in uh late 80s or early 90s uh early early 90s yeah i yeah they were already that songs were already written like they were and i just sang them he accompanied me on guitar and that that's that's all that's on the the, the original cassette tape so after 31 years this is um finally and we included all of them the the extra was a cinder block man because that was from the 19 19- 82 the last redolinous exposition well before the one the one was in 2013 that was actually the last one uh-huh. but um that was a the the cinder block man was a sculpture of a cinder block uh little little man it's about this this tall but that cinder blocks that he had a t-shirt on and i think i can't remember whether he had glasses anyway they had a, a Craig Nutt hooked up two um, old telephones, you know, black tele- heavy telephones, so you could have two people listening to the Cinderblock Man story. It was the, basically the same thing. It was just had no accompaniment, and you'd pick that up, and it would be like in the middle of it, just run continuously, he had it on a, a loop tape, and that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. So that's that was the the earliest song on that, I think. And uh, yeah, so after uh, 31 years, uh, the, this record has come out, and then you, in the interim, you've you've actually written like a whole another album, which is oh yeah, yeah. This is that also what is that from like 25 years ago? Or uh, it's right. There's actually one the, the song that are on there that I wrote uh, this year actually. Oh. So I added. I keep adding them. There was one. There's one song on there that's called um, "Song of the Open Drain." That I'm not really sure if <laughs> I, I wanted to include or not because it's so much like today's headlines. So this is this is one of the oldest songs I wrote that from 1978. I think you heard it. It starts uh, deep inside my pocket coat, automatic weapon. Gonna send some just plain folks flying up to heaven. <laughs> that, it has that line in it. So that's like the intro, and then it's it goes uh, up or down from that. So that's too. Yeah, I don't know. It made to be too much. Mm-hmm. Kids don't ever listen to this. They don't. They don't. But you know, I'm not going to suggest anything to them that they weren't going to do already. Or, yes, that's or maybe they will. How does it? Um, I guess going from n- not having an album out, and then 30 years later, this album is coming out. Do you feel? Um, do you feel good about it, or anxiety about it being released, or anything? Yes, like yes, I do. But yeah, that. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I feel all of that. 
I'm really, I'm really a sensitive guy. <laughs> Kiss me. Anytime. So the, uh, <laughs> the other thing I don't think people realize is there were only really two Fred Lane performances, right? Um, three. Well, including this the... Uh, Pedophysical Review, uh, the From the One That Cut You, and, uh, well, yeah, and the... At the uh, at the Redux, the uh, Redolness Redux in 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? Yeah, right. Which was kind of a surprise. That wasn't like a publicized performance, but uh, I mean, the event was publicized. But well, nobody, I, is, I, I he thought, gonna, is he or isn't he going to show up? I mean, well, I thought yourself? there was somebody in the audience with an automatic weapon too. That's another reason ah. that that just <laughs> happened to jive with that. It's yeah, let's talk about song. that. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was uh, one of the guys in the in the the band was really hostile about the whole the whole thing it was in the original Redolinus and he was he just always he was talking about how many guns he had and stuff and and uh and he kept he he, he didn't like a, a particular person in the and and in uh Redolinus and um uh, he, he just was just vomiting out all this uh, vitriol and hatred um but uh, yeah so this this will be uh january 30th no excuse me january 31st yeah uh, and uh saturn right yeah. at, at uh Sat- club called saturn in birmingham will be this is going to be like the first fred lane performance in I mean, at least like publicized, right? Maybe over forty years. Is that right? <laughs> when, when was the last one before the re- the Redux? Uh, what what do folks have in store for them? What what prizes? Fabulous prizes? I don't know. I'll think of something. I got. Door prizes. Six some doors. So this will be a, a album record release event, and uh, as well as a DVD release. We'll have copies of the documentary, and oh, and there will be all screening also of the Ice Pick to the Moon. Right, right. <laughs> in a Biscayne Chuckling for the rains came Sentimental refrain Waiting on that freight train Trampoline from a coin purse from a clutch bag in a glove box When the cigarette is over they'll fly a nice pick to the moon We're on the bus Each and every one of us The way you hold your drink It's tearing me apart Put up on the bar stool, how do you do? Was it good for the cop as it was for you? Parapoodles, one is dark and one has flaxen hair. They eased into a trailer court, they didn't seem to care. 
wiggling, giggling, picking bank cashes. Twelve loaded rubber snouts up your Hollywood. Things like crime that don't mean a thing. It buys a nice pick to a better world. Small talk, Stack of loins on the roaring heat. One more weekend shot to hell. Begging's like crying, it don't mean a thing. It just makes the ropes real tight. Regional manager's mustache. Mona Lisa's schizophrenic sugar shack. It's just a nice pick in a glove box. And it never met a kid of beer like you. Small talk. Extract. Decode. What's, what is the full lyric? Uh, watch all the stylized swastikas cry. Oh, um, just like Hitler in a white summer dress. I'm gonna get me. All, I'm gonna get me all the push out when I die. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's another one. Uh, the pollen's high. The sperm can dance. dance. There's a death there's camp a death in, my pants, in my pants. Yeah. Uh, and um, so yeah, Fred F- Fred Lane. Seems to, seems to have uh, he likes to play around 
Oh, the, 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 the imagery and iconography. The, be, the best. <laughs> He's having a swing in time. The, the old one is, is that was recorded in 1978 where we're supposed to do that as a single. We're going to have uh, from the one that cut you in Rubber Room. Not Rubber Room. Yeah, Rubber Room. That's the song. It's a, where, you, where I says, put it to your eyeball, put it to the fit, your face, fix myself a highball and drink to the master race. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that, that was one. That got some kids going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't miss it literally. <laughs> but again, with the, the but it is beautiful thought. The parody thing. I mean, this is like kind of like a, a taboo realm, quite sensitive for people to like discuss any of this stuff. And it's and they suspend their lap. I mean, those are that's a funny. Those are all funny lines, like objectively speaking. Uh, any 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 red blooded uh, soul would would guffaw in ecstasy over hearing any one of them. Um, a lot of people like to nitpick about stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think of this as like a the proper, again, going back to parody of like, you know, like Chaplin doing doing Hitler. We've discussed this, I think, el- elsewhere. Um, but uh, I think like uh, taking this stuff, which is just like, these these uh, absurd situations. I mean, these things. You know, nothing good comes out of any of this. We can all agree. Like, you know, there's there's like a that's a bad a thing. Big, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It's just bad. like yeah, that that those death camps were just a big waste of time. Let's just say that. You know, and um, not very pro- not yeah, very productive. They were. I mean, the concentration camp. They weren't doing a lot of concentration. They weren't doing yeah, really right, doing right. a lot of work. Uh, well, they were doing. A that lot sounds of, like a shecky green joke, or that's just an old joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, nothing was was like wonderfully productive. Yeah, I mean, even they would make these things that were just like you know soul crushing, where you you carry the the bag of wet salt from one end of the camp to, and then they say, oh, okay, uh, now I'll carry it back to the other side. I mean, which is like. <laughs> Arbach mocked Fry. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, work will set you free. Like, like the but Eleanor like, Roosevelt joke. If your if your work is utterly pointless, yeah, that's that's gonna like crush your soul. But to um, uh, confront uh, absurdity with absurdity, uh, laughter is the best medicine. This is this seems like the proper. <laughs> You're making me cry now, Yeah, I can't stop. <laughs> no, no, you don't hit me no more. Uh, I, I, I love you, man. <laughs> oh, we did it now. Okay. That's enough of that crap. Um. All right. I. I don't know if. I don't know if there's like a straight answer to this, but it's like. Um. I'll give you a gay answer if you. <laughs> quick, quick. No, no. Please give me a gay answer to this. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. As gay as possible. Um. It's like like the Reverend Fred Lane. Um. You know, it goes far beyond just the music. It's the myth, the lore, and the world building. Um. And in the current state of music. Like world building is almost more important than the music itself with Instagram and social media platforms of people being able to world build easier. Um, would you say you view yourself as a musician or an artist first, or do you not like consider any of this? I'm definitely an artist. <laughs> um, uh, that was the gay answer. Yeah, I, yeah a little bit, a little bit gayer. You turn the gay up a little. Oh, uh, I, I don't. I can. I'm uh, um, more, more of artistic than uh, than I am 
Jesistic. <laughs> I don't know what you're... I'm more filmic. <laughs> I'm filmic and... <laughs> I, I have a slightly bit of that on my teeth right now. No what to do with it. I, I don't know what to say. I really don't. <laughs> well, we, well, we didn't talk about the uh, the whirly gigs at all and the creatures. And what is the, what is the different? What do you describe the difference between the? When did you <clears throat> when did you start making the the creatures and the whirly gigs to sell? Well, I, I made the first one in uh, 1981, I think. Uh, I just tore apart an old fan and made it where it would spin. I mean, it's an electric fan. And spin, and then it had a, a uh, those kind of silhouette cartoons that I do, and I just made it three dimensional out of wood, and had a. Um, you can't see my gestures. This is kind of gay. This gesture I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you forgot to turn the knob down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the um, with with wires coming out of it, and I put that together, and then I started selling them at uh, in Birmingham. That was the first gallery that I sold them at a gallery called Almost Famous, and. I don't know. I just found out that people would buy them and I could actually make money doing that so I didn't have to work all these crappy jobs that I was working. So, so I got, that kind of took off. and you know, It took about four years for that to take off. You were drawing uh, things before. I mean, the, Oh, yeah. The Since I was, a, so was a teenager, I was, I was drawing stuff. Yeah. yeah, and it seems like some of the figures that appear on the the yeah. Lane albums then have kind of like f- created forms or shapes and creatures. Yeah, yeah, little bullies and stuff bullies. like that. And there's some, and um, yeah, I was we were I I the the first uh, Redonis, uh exposition, uh, the second one actually I put uh, some of my sculptures in there. My sculptures were different the, the before that because I just mostly. Did uh, collages put these uh, kind of borderline psychotic looking uh, collages? Some of them were they they were kind of it's hard to tell what they were, but um, out of pieces of wood that I found, and there was a shape that I my father had torn out some uh, window seats, and I got this sh- shape that looked like some old Egyptian or. Um, uh, uh, Sumerian or something shape that I, it was kind of iconic, and I painted those with different, uh, really tacky colors that didn't go together, and would uh, paste and decoupage. I went decoupage crazy there for a few years, but I was always painting just mostly crummy, crummy wood that I just f- found, and uh, with thick. It was it was oil paint back then, but it was thick, high gloss, bright colors. It was something that looked like, oh, this is something that somebody would throw away or you know put it in their attic and not show. So that's, I was kind of going for that. Were, the, were these the idea of like putting propellers and having them as as these kind of mobiles? Um, was that coming from any like sort of tradition of like oh, for the whirly gigs and like weather vanes? Yeah, no, I just started doing it and started uh, expanding on what I was doing. It's kind of like taking an idea and 
nailing it into the fucking ground. I mean, it was, that was basically what that was. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't mean to say F fucking. <laughs> Sorry. If you say F fucking, then it's. I say L, L fucko. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You we mean the same, about- same, same to you? We no, can talk about lynchings and swastikas on this, oh. this show, but we can't talk about it. We can't curse. So okay. Oh. <laughs> Darn the heck. Are you a fan of like uh the like folk artists such as Howard Finster or R. A. Miller? Is there any um Oh yeah, we have world? some uh, my uh, Jeannie, my wife, has a ton of R. A. Miller stuff that she got and they used to go to out to see him and and she has some uh worldly gigs and things that he did. She she hasn't put up a lot of those, but there was one of them I really I really like that's right in our staircase when you when you go down it's right where you can see it that looks like it looks like indians and i can't tell it's mostly just uh, like i think it looks like it's crayon but it's some kind of paint that uh, i really like that drawing so anyway yeah i yeah i like some of that i didn't hear about fenster until actually until he's his stuff was already on um, talking heads. Did he do a yeah album yeah, cover the for them? Album. Yeah, and and but I did. Uh, I got, went to Pasaquan, and I can't remember the guy's name now. That that was that artist. I just and know it is Pasaquan. It's near near uh, Columbus, uh, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. Right? Yeah, with Roger uh, Haggerty because he used to live there. Roger Haggerty, uh, Dick Foot, and um, we went there a couple of times. Kind of, I mean, there's something about the region where these people kind of <clears throat> are left alone as eccentrics to to tinker around and and do their thing without anybody really bothering them. Yeah, like this is these, something these for that. Yeah. People. That's yeah. makes it untouched by the <laughs> whoever it is that just wants to take something and just put it in a plastic bag and suffocate it. That whatever that that uh, metaphor or analogy is analogy. Yeah, I think I think the fact that any kind of marketing or money that was was never involved in the equation of of Riddellinus and nobody ever had any hopes or delusions that that would even be the case. So there was something that was kind of like pure about. There was somebody. There was a, the writer from Southern Living. I think when we were doing the the uh, second. Uh, Redonna's exhibition, which was the one that had the the uh, where we played and had a vaudeville show in there, and uh, in, in uh, Ferguson Theater, I think. Um, what was the question? I forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, Mort, I guess I'm, I'm just, old. Just, uh, just flapping my gums and making observations, but like, uh, well, I think about this in spite of the fact it's not like. You all were were like, uh, what's I say? Like it was like a chintzy affair, or that that. Uh, no much chance. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, twenty five percent chance. <laughs> That's a good percentage, actually. It's a good deal on chintz. Um, but um, what we, you know, it wasn't it wasn't this kind of like slapdash situation. People were really um, rather like industrious and super crafty and put a lot of time into i mean just for these shows that were performed once were these sets with oh like yeah the, what was the wheel 
in the oh the, that was in the, from the one that cut you that was the second that was her big big show the one in the Morgan Auditorium that was a real musical and uh, theatrical stage so we we didn't have to use you know I could just talk to the audience and we could do skits and stuff so because Ferguson you know, it had a lousy sound but you, you heard that you were in Ferguson when we did that mm-hmm. Redux um, yeah the Flavor Wheel was yeah with a gigantic Flavor Wheel had a giant. Um, it was about eight feet tall, at least, I think. And it had a wheel on the top. This was before Wheel of Fortune, by the way. This was like 76. Oh, wow. It had, it had a, but they'd use those on, you know, quiz shows and stuff forever. And it stood up and it had, you. Um, I think it said you can't win. And then it says everybody wins on the bottom and you can't win on the top or vice versa. And it was... It was pie. It was pie, and the and but the alternating of the pies were um, pine saw and dog vomit. You had the pine saw dog vomit all going all the way around the pine saw label and a little you know plastic dog vomit, and you you spun that and when you would spin it, the flounder bunt who was also so it, it was played by two different uh, girls because they couldn't wear the the headdress. It was a heavy head that was about four feet tall and had a big nose that came out the front so they would come out there and change it and um, and every time and then they would change the placard of the act that would that would uh, come out there was a lot of work in the show yeah, yeah you're right it was a lot I had we had about 20 something people working on it we had to, we, we had to have two property girls to, to to handle the property because there were so many props and that was we we tried to do it again. We tried to uh, to uh, get the people at Birmingham Southern and um, UAB to do it again. And we probably should have tried to produce it, but they, I think they were pissed off or something at the UA the, in in Tuscaloosa. Have you so. have you missed uh, being on? Do you how do you feel when you're on stage? Because people seem to comment in the documentary. Everybody that's knew you. Or does know you, or was in the in the band, uh, kind of spoke about this be, as being like your natural element that you're. Well, oh yeah, yeah, Tim's yeah. quite shy in person, but like when he when he becomes Fred Lane when he's on stage. Yeah, that's that's it. They, they're right. Well. They're right. I'm uh, afflicted. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I. That's a that's a fun thing. But has it? But it's but it's now been like you know many uh, years or a couple decades that that you've done it. So, um, what's what's provided the sufficient substitute uh, for this this activity? Uh, I guess uh, Jeannie. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of kept me alive for a while. What time is it? Um, um, yeah, yeah. I I I look forward to doing another set or several sets. Hopefully, if, if it goes over, we can do it. We've already got two things yeah. scheduled, right? Do they know about the other one? I don't know I, if we can talk about the other. I think we can, yeah. We can. Do you want to talk about it? Well, I think, I well, did, we were not supposed to announce it. I'm not sure. I'm prompting you. you I, think, I think we could at this point. Oh, uh, Okay. Uh, well, I think we're going to be in uh, a Big Ears in uh, Knoxville. Um sometime in late march i think that's right yeah yeah 
end of March is um, the block. Yeah. So there's a yeah, there's a whole week of uh, I don't know when would we'd perform, but it would be the last week in mm-hmm. March. Yeah, that's a music festival in Knoxville. Big ears for small brains. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and one of the smallest. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, when is where is the when is the Sat when is the Saturn gig? Je- January thirty first. And that's a that's gonna be a good time because the guy that uh owns the club, he used to own a place called the Bottle Tree. Um which was this this uh interesting place that had like airstream trailers as dressing rooms. In Birmingham, and uh, he's he's on film. He's on a record. Oh, is this the guy that bets that says he's going to cut his finger off? Yeah. You know, he starts with that, and he says that uh, I don't know. You know, maybe he would regret it if he did that. So he says, "Well, well, somebody there was somebody that lived without a lung. They removed a lung, had a lung removed, and they could they were okay. Link Ray, right, right. He conceded that he would give up a lung for Fred Lane to play." His then club, Bottle Tree. Uh, so now, now this is saying it's Saturn. There hasn't been any discussion of any bodily parts or organs being removed quite yet. Uh, but there's still some time. He should probably do it. All that matters is a man's word. And if he can't live up to it, then he's not a man at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me just take a nap. You can interview me in my sleep. <laughs> Wouldn't mind doing that. <laughs> You talk in your sleep? Mm, I think so, but Jeannie is hard of hearing, so she probably doesn't hear any of it. Can I watch you sleep and write down (laughs) what you say? (laughs) We have to restrain you and put a mask on you. Yeah, you can sit over there in the corner. Wonderful. Yeah, we had Brian Lewis Saunders on who talked about how for years he was recording, kept a tape recorder that would turn on. It was like voice activated. So he he knew that he talked in his sleep and uh, got these great stories, wild dreams. There were almost full full stories that would come out when he was in a hypnagogic state. I thought about trying it since then. There was, uh, I remember I woke up when I lived in uh, over near the University of Alabama and uh, this really, that, that you've seen that actual place that's in, um, that local uh, Birmingham interview that they used in the the documentary. Yeah. Well, it's like that. I used to have to leave the windows open when it when I was the weather was okay, and I would hear this guy screaming, uh, screaming in the alley because that was a it was a real it was a slum basically, and that's where the people that were at the halfway houses. This was in the seventies, and the um, from from. They were they were okay mentally. They would let him out of uh, Bryce Hospital, or uh, sometimes Partlow. Uh, anyway, we had like three uh, mental hospitals in Tuscaloosa. It's like they're, everybody's walking all down down the street. And you'll be somebody will be talking to you, and you'll they'll be you know talking to playing a harmonica, and they'll walk over to the to the. Um, gas pump where you're pumping gas and look at the gas pump and just go 
start shaking their head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding. This was back when they had ding, dings on the, on the, on the gas pumps. And then they'll start playing this harmonica and then they'll walk away. Well, those, those are people who were all living in the, in the back of this alley where I was living. And I remember somebody screaming. There was somebody screaming and I woke up. I was hearing this in my sleep and I woke up and I was screaming. I woke up screaming, literally, and there was somebody, it was already screaming in the alley, and I guess I was answering them in the sleep. But that was the same guy that, um, there was this very immaculately dressed black man, obviously very educated, always wore these beautiful, you know, cut suits and obviously expensive clothes, but he lived in the back alley uh, over across from me, and he used to so oh, one time he would he, he was obviously drunk sitting on the ground had all these beer cans all around him and was um was talking to himself and i i couldn't remember anything else he said but he's one of the things he said was one day one day a man's going to come and cut off all our heads and only one is going to stand tall like that so I wrote that. I wrote that down. I put that's a "Call Me Wayne." That's a "Call Me." Yeah, yeah. Those are lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a long time ago. But that was. There's a man over there. Nailed up on the wall. Chop off all our heads. Only one stand tall. Yeah. Were there any other choice nuggets you got from these psychos? And uh, yeah, I did. I wrote some of. Them. I can't remember where they are now, but some of them ended up in songs. Mm-hmm. But he he would. I remember he. I saw him when I worked in the record store. He came up and he was smiling. And because I realized I was automatically smiling like, like an ape, like I usually do. And, <laughs> and he, he said, Bob Cummings. He pointed at me and said, Bob Cummings, and turned around and walked out. I said, you you completely understand me. Also, there was a, a guy that was, he was kind of associated with the redundancy. His name was Roy Stone. And he was a... Um, Craig and Ted, you know, that's uh, Ron Payton, uh, Applebee and Camel. They were both worked for a furniture uh, restorer and um, that they both started doing. They both ended up in some, something to do with building and stuff. But Craig uh, is an artist and he built sculptures. Um, but they, there was a guy that the Boykins Antiques in Tuscaloosa, he had a, a kid that he had gotten he had gotten he had raised because he i think his parents died or something and he was mentally challenged but he was a sweet guy and but he i i think after he he kind of this is a southern thing you you get this kid and he grows up and then he's he's like an orangutan i mean he's big big guy um and he was working for, he had him working for it. He was always doing, you know, stripping paint and stuff off the, the furniture. Uh, he, he was kind of, uh, uh, he marched in the, the parades with us, I, 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 in the homecoming parades. And, and Ted and, um, and he made up these songs. And they were, looked, sounded like versions of other songs, but he, they're, oh, they're completely made up words. Um. Like like one song was, I come back to this world. Tennis loves me. I come back. And I can't remember the rest of them, but it was that. It was just all you know, 
stuff that's not public domain, some of it, this, the, the melodies. But the songs were all made up, and they recorded a whole cassette tape of uh, Roy Stone songs, songs from Stone. He, he always said, made from stone. He was made from stone. And he used to have this, use all these, Craig and Ted know all of these, these quips, but he had just a lot of just pithy little phrases that he said that were that were very pithy. What was what was his costume in the marching vegetable? Oh, I one year I, I gave him uh he was he had a TV uh around his, his he was inside a, a TV but there was it was a picture of some guy's uh, head I got from an old 60s or 50s advertisement a head and then Clark bars around it and that was what was in the front um because that's why he was he was great he was he was hilarious and um and it, we weren't making fun of him we just he was an enjoy to be around he loved to be there so we just took him with us and a lot of stuff mm-hmm. Craig I think was like his surrogate father you know because he had to he had to watch out because he didn't understand like money and stuff like that. So he had had to make sure he didn't, you know, get 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 screwed over in one way or another. Is that your favorite chocolate bar, Clark bar? You like oh, Clark, I like the Clark bars. Yeah, that, I like the Clark itself. The actual taste of a Clark bar, they always yeah. taste like there's. It's a tastes like a stale uh, Butterfingers. Butterf- yeah, it's yeah. A letdown. That's what I'm going to taste like. I don't know how they still. Oh, I, I probably exist. shouldn't say that because I can get that Clark bar endorsement. I got to shut up. I That's the you best that- candy. Clark is the best. <laughs> Clark gives you a lift. I thought you were working on uh, Zagnut. Oh, Zagnut, Zagnut, for ho- those who don't care. <laughs> hey, Zagnut. I like your car, your business cards. This uh, for people who have nothing better to do with their money. Is yeah, that that's that's been the staple for since the, about the early eighties. Yeah, that's good. Zagnut. We want make sure throat scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> the uglier it is, and the more useless. Don't rub it in your eyes. That's a, good, that's a good slogan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, well yeah, it was uh, it was nice to meet you, Reverend. Okay, Reverend. You say Reverend or Reverend? Be re- uh, t- a little bit of both. Well, that's good. Irreverent. Yeah, you go Irreverent. Both ways, yeah. The ir- yeah, irreverent okay. Fred Lane. The Reverend Doctor. Reverend Doctor. Reverend Doctor Field Marshal. Yeah, I, I added that at one point. I'll either be at Saturn or uh, Big Ears. Um, okay. One, one or the other. All right. It's nice talking to you, Caleb. All right. Nice talking to you, Reverend. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a funny fuck. That's a funny fucking guy. Constant yucks. It's like that's. <laughs> I I want to see him in like a really solemn, like at a funeral or something. <laughs> I don't think he'd be able to contain himself. Yeah, I don't know how he would. I think he would be funnier at a funeral. Uh, yeah, maybe he even his own. He probably probably leave behind some some gif- gags and giggles for everyone. <laughs> Just what a ham! Yeah, hamming it up twenty four seven. People often talk about encountering, uh, like an artistic 
persona and being really let down. You know, don't beat your idols. Uh, you're just going to be disappointed. Somebody like Woody Allen talking about meeting Groucho Marx for the first time, and it was just like his uh, just crotchety, curmudgeony, codger, codgerish Jew, old Jewish uncle or something. Like he, he felt really bad about it and decided he'd never talk to any of his idols anymore after that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But T.R. Reed, the Reverend. Fred Lane is like the opposite of that. The guy delivers the goods on every level. <laughs> I mean, he, he's uh, just as wonderfully mad and hilarious and brilliant and just a pleasure. Um, <laughs> in in his, I mean, this is really hard. Like usually, people where they they kind of blur the line between the you know Tim Fred Fred Tim. Uh, can't tell the difference uh usually there's like psychological problems that aren't pleasant to be around or you know like Uh like romanticizing schizophrenics but it's like very rare that there are people you'd want to spend more than a couple hours if even that with yeah um he just his entire personality is uh like really really unique um, be, I, I guess in that way is there's people that are, that do play it for the yucks, but uh, he seems there's like no signs that he's that that's not just his pure identity is just only for the yucks, right? It's true surrealist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, natural born, just free player, just can't not fuck with everything he encounters, which is is uh, definitely a infectious style to be around so you kind of like fall fall into it and start speaking the gibberish with him you can't you kind of can't help but submit like what are you going to do you're just going to be the square you're going to be like this uh person trying to to wrestle rationally as i am now (laughs) (laughs) with with absolute absurdity Uh, it's just a recipe for disaster you have to give into it and i think that's kind of what happened uh I don't know if it was writ large, but a you know a real group of people, more ambitiously sizable than most most things that are no budget or extremely low budget uh, that I've encountered before, and and all really really kind of excited about doing it. Um, I think he really propelled that. I mean, he's shy and wouldn't ever. ever ever claim i mean he was kind of this the they kind of elected him they said hey we need an mc to do this thing and somebody who's going to just um ham up these bad jokes and kind of stick a knife in you when you're not looking (laughs) and he was he was the guy to do it but it was like yeah i mean there was there was no leader to radellinus um but he was he was kind of a poster child for it but those guys totally made made their own party i mean that's 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 like really the thing i mean that's that's what all this i think came out of is just like their idea okay let's mimic all of this we're you know getting excited reading about these uh crazy dadas and surrealists and uh these wild lives that they live and and just thinking like well 
I'm pretty bored with the usual uh, frat party or the cake party. You know, those people don't want anything to do with us anyway. So we're ready to have a good time. Let's make our own party and just, like, re- really do it. Are you familiar with um, how how the connection to Shimmy Disc happened? Well, he said that um, Eugene Chadbourne, who played in a band called Shockabilly with Kramer, who's, like, the honcho of uh-huh. Shimmy Disc, Chadbourne had come, come through, uh, like, I had mentioned how um, Rodellinus and primarily later uh, Davy Williams and LaDonna Smith, a.k.a. Sid Charisse and DPB Smith. Oh, yeah, DPB stands for Don Pretty Boy Smith. <laughs> but uh, they were they were the first people to bring um, improvised mu- Not only, I mean, they were doing this improvised music, but also bringing... Um, other improvisers to perform in the southeast in the region so uh yeah i think it was like a tour it was you uh, a duo of like john zorn and eugene chadborn had come through and they had formed some relationship and ma- i think maybe chadborn had heard some of the fred lane stuff through that and and then subsequently turned kramer on to it i think that's right i mean without shimmy discs no galaxy 500 so yeah i l- I was listening to, uh, I, I got into like this, this Japanese band, uh, Ruins, uh, you're, you're, you're I think you're hip to that, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they yeah, they, they had, they had shit out on shimmy discs, like when I was in high school, kind of getting fully weird and like, um, and you know, you, you hear something interesting on this label that looks like they have other interesting shit and you just start checking it out and it was just like that was this then that record cover uh pops up and it's just like terrifying seeing that face with by the way that's not uh his eyes through those glasses that's uh i think it was the a photograph of uh tammy wynette's eyes that were then <laughs> taped to the glass I didn't, I didn't know that yeah well it, i mean like shimmy disc had a, had a lot of you know like a uh, lot of interesting stuff, you know, like half Japanese. Right, like, right. That's, uh, I mean, that's like a good starting point for a lot of people with uh, interesting music. Yeah. Like, uh, no, it, it 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 did reach far. I mean, as as like, uh, hmm, what can you say? I mean, a lot of people got turned on to this. I mean, what this is all pre-internet, so like things like. Uh, spin magazine or whatever would would be writing about some of this music and that's how a lot of people got turned on to fred lane i mean despite uh poor business practices and like really screwing the guy over and (laughs) making him essentially leave the music world for 30 years um uh it did 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 they screw him over yeah, I don't. I don't know like how much at liberty I am to talk. I don't think he cares with people knowing that. But uh, y- yeah, I mean the label went under, and uh, there were a lot of things that just with the records themselves that were done wrong, and then um, you know the the classic record label gangster world of not paying paying yeah. people, paying artists course 
But yeah, I don't. I don't think they they made a cent from that shit. Oh man, that's fucked. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. All right. This has been the Exile Hour. You've been exiled. Thank you for listening to the Exile Hour. Please tune the next episode for another very special guest. We appreciate your patronage. If you have any suggestions for future guests, hate mail, blackmail, or another type of message, please do not hesitate to write to the Exile Hour at protonmail.com. As always, be safe. Be vigilant and keep listening.